0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. Late in the evening on Thursday, October 20th, news broke that South Africa is moving to withdraw from the International Criminal Court. Now, the ICC is, of course, the first permanent international court to prosecute war crimes and crimes against humanity. And back in 2002, when it came to life, South Africa was a founding member. But in recent years, the court has come under criticism by some African governments for holding a perceived bias against Africa. But until now, no major country has withdrawn from the court after joining it. There's a fear now, frankly, one which I share, that South Africa's withdrawal will spark a cascade of countries doing the same thing. Now, this is important because there are only there are three ways that crimes can fall under the jurisdiction of the ICC. The first is if a country consents to the investigation. The second is if the UN Security Council refers a situation to the court, and the third is if a country is a state party to the ICC. If South Africa's withdrawal leads to a mass exodus, the ICC's jurisdiction around the world could be significantly shrunk, perhaps even fatally. On the line with me to discuss these questions and more is David Bosco, Associate Professor of International Studies at Indiana University's School of Global and International Studies. He's also author of the book Rough Justice, The International Criminal Court in a World of Power Politics, and he is someone I have looked to over the years to help me understand the ICC's role in international relations. And now here is David Bosco once again helping me make sense of this news. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: I mean, here's the the nightmare scenario, of course, is that um, South Africa, as a huge regional player, international player, really diplomatically and in other ways, Um, their departure is, is much, much more significant. I mean, orders of magnitude more significant than, um, than Burundi's, which we saw just in the last couple of weeks, the, the government of Burundi announcing that it was going to depart from the ICC. That was, you know, number one, Burundi's, you know, a small country, a very troubled country. Um, it was easy to see that as a government trying to avoid immediate scrutiny for, you know. Crimes that it had committed. It
0: was a Um, cynical ploy because, you know, it's not out of the realm of plausibility that the government of Burundi would come under ICC investigation for crimes, uh, you know, against humanity that are that are kind of ongoing there and on a kind of a low level basis right now, but but nonetheless ongoing.
1: Yep, absolutely. So so that was kind of easy to put to one side. But South Africa's is is is, is, you know, earth shaking for the ICC. Um, Now, that said, it's not. I mean, I was surprised by it uh, that it came so quickly, but it's you know we've seen signs obviously of South Africa's view of the ICC changing, and um, most dramatically, of course, there was the visit by Omar al-Bashir um, a few months ago, or I guess maybe even a year ago now, um, when um, South Africa did not arrest him, mm-hmm. um, even though one of its courts had had said that that was the obligation of the government, and that's generally seen as the obligation of ICC member states to arrest um, people who've been indicted when they're on their territory. That created a big stir. Yeah, and it's um, worth
0: it's worth pointing out that, that Omar al-Bashir is the president of Sudan, uh, who is uh, indicted, wanted for genocide. So he's like a fugitive at large from the ICC. And about a year ago, right. he visited South Africa. Uh, and South African civil society um, thought, probably correctly, that it was South Africa's obligation to arrest him. Uh, the South African government saw differently. And sort of as a court case was unfolding in the midst of Bashir's visit to South Africa, Bashir just kind of fled in in the dead of night.
1: Right. And it was very clear that the government itself had no interest um, in seeing him arrested. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, there was plenty of uh, evidence that they had kind of facilitated his departure. And, And that, that continues to kind of play out in, as I understand it, I'm not an expert in South African jurisprudence, but I think that continues to play out in South African courts.
0: Yeah, um, there's there's and, and so there's currently a, a court case um, in which civil society organizations uh, are are essentially, I think, like basically suing the South African Justice Department yeah. for not living up to its obligations of uh, the ICC.
1: Yeah, exactly. And South Africa got criticized um, by other ICC members, and so there's this background, and and of course, much more broadly, there's this background of. African resentment or, um, hostility to the court. And when I say, obviously I don't mean all of Africa and, and it's, you know, it's certain capitals, certain governments, um, certain sectors of African, um, civil society even have been, um, questioning, you know, why the ICC has done all of its, almost all of its full investigations have been in Africa, why everyone indicted has been African. Um, and there are, Complex answers to that. You know, it's not. It's not. You know, the simple notion that the ICC is kind of um, targeting Africans is, I think, way too simple. Um, But the reality is that the ICC has made choices about where it's going to investigate, and um, it has left aside some situations outside of Africa that it could have investigated. Um, quite a while ago, and that has not been lost on, on a number mm-hmm. of African leaders.
0: And, and so it is worth, worth pointing out that there are something like 10 current situations under, uh, a full investigation, yeah. uh, only one of which, the Republic of Georgia, is not Correct. in, in, in Africa. So, you know, that this perception is, well, is real. Um, you know, the, yeah. you know it, it, it is the reality that most, um, you know, the large, vast majority of, of all these investigations are, um, focused on uh, crimes against humanity, war crimes that were committed somewhere on the African continent.
1: Right. And now one of the things that, you know, the ICC and its and its advocates will quickly point out is that, yeah, but a lot of those situations were ones that where African governments actually referred themselves to the ICC. They mm-hmm. asked for investigations. Uganda is an example the case. of that. Yep. Uganda, Democratic Republic of Congo, Mali, Central African Republic, so it's kind of, you know, it's tough to say, oh, the ICC is targeting us when you have the governments themselves asking for investigations. But, you know, if one digs a little deeper into that, it was pretty clear that the ICC kind of went out of its way to try to get the Ugandan government or the the, the Congolese government um, to submit its case to the ICC. And so it's a more it's a more complicated interaction than than just, um, you know, the government's wanting the investigation. And,
0: and this is complicated, I think, even further, probably by the fact that the, the head prosecutor of the ICC, ICC Ben souda is is a Gambian yes. herself. I mean, she, she's an African herself. And, and you know, yes. symbolically, that's obviously very important.
1: It is. It is important. And I think many people had hoped that um, her selection to succeed uh, Luis Moreno Ocampo would kind of put to rest the, some of these tensions between the um, between African states and the court, but it, but it hasn't played out that way. And the, you know, there was a bit of kind of bad luck as well um, for the court, and that was in the situation in Kenya, um, where you know, based on the election violence that happened several years ago, the ICC had opened an investigation. After it opened in its investigation, you had um, two of the key perpetrators um were elected the president and the deputy president. Mm-hmm. And so they they moved into official positions and that made the ICC investigation there not just an investigation of some high profile individuals but an investigation of a sitting president and deputy president. And that and then, one that was
0: like duly elected not someone like right. you know Omar al Bashir you know who's more of like a global pariah.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and there's right in, in Kenya the elections have plenty of problems, but I mean, it was generally seen as, you know, quasi legitimate in contrast to Sudanese elections. And um, so that was a really difficult situation for the court. And it became this long standoff where, you know, basically um, Kenya was ostensibly cooperating with the court, um, but was in fact, I think most observers would say undermining the investigation. Uh, There was some evidence that they were intimidating witnesses, that they were you know, basically trying to pull the rug out from under the court and, um, and it worked and, and and it worked. And ultimately those cases fell apart and, uh, it was quite a humiliation for the court. Um, but I think that both the example of Bashir and the example of, uh, the court going after a sitting head of state in Kenya really reinforced this alarm in, uh, in parts of Africa about, you know, what's going on here? You know, do we want to be part of an international court that is going after heads of state and presenting all sorts of problems for diplomacy and i think some of that is just basically the self interest of politicians wanting to protect themselves so mm-hmm. that that's very clear but some of it is also more legitimate in the sense that it's um you know there are real questions about when international justice starts to get in the way of necessary diplomacy and so you know it's one thing for the prosecutor sitting in The Hague to say Omar al Bashir is an outcast. It's another thing um, to tell a neighboring state of Sudan, "Hey, you can't have any contact with Bashir. Bashir can't visit your territory. You might mm-hmm. have, you know, that state might have a very complicated bilateral relationship with Sudan, and here they're being told by the Hague, you know, n- you know, no, no contact with with that." Or certainly that, that, that individual cannot visit your territory.
0: I guess what makes the South African exit from the court so troubling is that it's not as if the government of South Africa is being accused of any sort of right. war crimes. It's not out of the naked self-interest, uh, that say the exit of, of Burundi. I mean, the, it's rather out of these kind of larger structural questions about the role of the court on the African continent that the, the South African government uh, submitted its, its letter of, of resignation, essentially. And in the letter, uh, w- which I read, I mean, it, it, it makes that point very clear that saying that, you know, these investigations sometimes um, negatively affect our ability to conduct diplomacy. Um, yeah. And and you know the the hopes of you know the the early you know advocates of of the court is that it would. Um have the opposite effect and and uh, it, that it, these kind of prosecutions would be um a lever would be um a th- a, a means of of compellence for yeah. diplomacy to to happen the threat of prosecution would deter war crimes and uh, you know the the fact of of um someone coming under investigation would make them want to resolve the conflict more quickly Right. Um, which is, I, I know you've written a lot about the, the sort of the, the practical effect of these, uh, investigations on the ground. Um, but it, it just seems that that hope has not turned out to be the case.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly, um, I mean, I think the deterrence question is, is a really difficult one and it's difficult to, you know, to test and to be sure that you're seeing a deterrent effect. I don't discount the possibility that there is a deterrent effect in some situations. Um, but I think it's pretty clear from the way things have played out in Sudan, in DRC, some other places, that at the very least, it's a, um, a kind of marginal effect and that it's certainly not going to work vis-a-vis some individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense, because if you're a sitting head of state uh, or a senior minister and your livelihood and potentially your freedom depend on staying in power, um, you're going to pull out all the stops to stay in power. Um, and you know, so in that kind of situation, it it could be that if you face the possibility of being shipped off to the Hague, you're even more likely to kind of pull out all the stops and do whatever you have to do to stay Mm -hmm. in power. And so, um, so the deterrence question is complicated, but, but it's certainly not been as simple as, um, as some advocates of, of the ICC had hoped. The other thing, Mark, that I think is important is that when the ICC was negotiated, we were in the mid 1990s and um, the the experience that was fresh in many people's minds was the crim- International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. Um, and that was, you know, I think in retrospect, a quite unique situation because you had the weight of the United States and the European Union behind that tribunal, not always, but for the most part. And you had the enforcement arm of NATO, which deployed to um, Bosnia in 1995. And so, you know, the ICTY started off slowly. But by the time we got to 1995, 1996, 97, certainly, you know, people were being arrested. People were being, you know, picked up by NATO on the ground. The court was starting to look like a real success. The ICC has to operate in situations where it doesn't have that kind of institutional support. Mm-hmm. Um, and where the political environment might be much less conducive to international justice and um so I have you know enormous sympathy for the i c c because and it's and its leaders because you know they are operating often with with limited diplomatic support, sometimes just kind of rhetorical support from the the powerful countries that whose support they need
0: it's like an office of the prosecutor without police to actually arrest the perps. And bring them yeah. before trial, you know, and and, and that's a, you know the the interesting point you made a, a, about the ICTY, which is the the acronym for the Yugoslav War Crimes Tribunal, yeah. is that they did have an enforcement arm in in NATO, but the ICC has no like global police force to track right. down and and arrest people with uh, warrants out for them. Um, and, yeah,
1: yeah, but no, and they and they mm-hmm. and they don't have um they don't have the kind of concentrated economic leverage that say European states had over countries in the Balkans. I mean, you know, it came to the point where Serbia was told, look, either you cooperate or you're not going to, you know, your discussions with the EU are not going to advance or even more, more uh, saliently with Croatia, you know, could be told that. And that's a lot of leverage. Now, you go to Kenya, you go to um, you know other situations, and that kind of leverage simply isn't there for the ICC.
0: Mm-hmm. And 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 that has led to less than desirable outcomes, which presumably has undermined the legitimacy of the court. Um, but but there are some good counterexamples. I mean, I, I think the Ivory Coast, the Cote d'Ivoire case is mm-hmm. probably um, a good example of a, a case in which the ICC intervention has provided to be has proved to be stabilizing. Um, you had, uh, you know, a, a former president uh, who lost power and was creating problems, uh, and was, you know, evicted and arrested by the ice, arrested and and, and sent to the Hague, and and sort of separating um, him from the place in which he used to cause problems uh, has has you know helped uh, Ivory Coast emerge over the last what now four years. Uh, mm-hmm. Into a, a stable country and in a country that's kind of like on, in in boom times right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So so it's not all. I mean, the 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 record of the ICC in Africa is not all on the negative side of the ledger. Uh, at, at all. I
1: totally I totally agree with that, and I think um, you know you've seen more people perhaps apprehended than some people thought would be apprehended. So mm-hmm. you've had you know um, the unfortunately named Bosco and Taganda. Um, who, you know, finds his way, you know, to the court through a series of circumstances and other militia commanders. So people that very well might have lived out their lives in total impunity um, have ended up before the court. And I I don't mean to, to minimize that. I mean, those are, those are real accomplishments. The, but, but the bigger question is, you know, if we kind of, if we, if we kind of zoom out to 30,000 feet you know what kind of impact is the court having and um how often is it is it um having the kind of impact that its advocates mm-hmm. have, but,
0: have but, but the fact is now these these questions might all be mute if in fact uh the South African exodus of the court leads to a max exodus of of african countries right. i mean you know, you know, as you said, South Africa is, uh, you know, not only an African leader, but it's an international, uh, leader. Um, it's, you know, it's the economic powerhouse. It's a democracy. You know, it's a country of, of Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Judge Richard Goldstone. one yes. of The, the most important, you know, jurists of the war crimes tribunal, uh, for the former Yugoslavia. Um, so it has this kind of like history. Uh, yeah. It has this reputation. And, uh, you know, if it leaves, what's stopping, you know, every other African signatory of the ICC? And once those countries are gone, I mean, the the ICC, uh, if the ICC doesn't have jurisdiction in Africa, you know, what, yeah. what good is it?
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, and that is why that's the nightmare scenario. Um, now, I think one important thing to recognize, of course, is that, you know, all politics is local, and there's going to be um, different incentives that different African governments have. Um, and, you know, a political scientists did some interesting work trying to understand why it was that so many African ca- African states, including ones who had experienced civil conflict recently, why did so many cho- choose to join the ICC in the first place? Um, you know, given that they were, you know, clearly going to be vulnerable to ICC scrutiny. And, you know, there's some interesting conclusions that people reached about that. But we shouldn't assume that all African states are going to have the same incentives moving forward. Um, You know, some governments may say, hey, we still want to be a member because we want to let all the actors who might try to, you know, destabilize our government or whatever know that the ICC could look into what they're doing. So it it may be in the interest of certain governments um, to to stay part of the ICC. But you've got to put on top of that the regional political dynamic and um you know the african union has been a mechanism for a lot of hostility to the icc that's passed a number of resolutions basically saying that african states don't need to comply with arrest warrants and criticizing the icc and individual african governments are going to have to balance what their interests are um specifically with any kind of question of regional solidarity that emerges about you know facing down this kind of Western neo-colonialist institution, as as some have called it. Um, so that's going to be playing out now in the coming weeks. But I would certainly say it's much more likely today than yesterday that we're going to see uh, kind of large scale uh, withdrawals. And, and, and
0: so, I mean, that just sort of almost begs the historical precedent of, of you know, is the ICC, which is, you know, this grand really experiment, in liberal international order uh more like the league of nations another grand experiment in international order uh which you know fell apart and and here too we have the icc you know seemingly on on the verge of of going the way of, of the league of nations if you have this mass exodus
1: yeah and that would really be something because you know one thing about international organizations as you know mark is that they don't disappear easily and um You know, even ones that, you know, aren't working very well tend to kind of hang around. And if you had a real um, departure like that, I mean, it would really put the viability of the court into into question. Um, I, you know, one of the questions about the ICC that I always kind of feel haunted by is whether it was. um, And I think we've maybe spoken about this before, whether it was kind of done too soon, Um, you know, in in the sense that. you know, there was all this uh, emphasis on human rights and humanitarianism in the mid 1990s. And there was this kind of moment where you could create the ICC. But, you know, was the ground really prepared for it? Um, And uh, that's obviously something we won't know. But, um, but if one wants to take the kind of dark view that, you know, that the the ground wasn't simply wasn't ready for this, um, we might be seeing some evidence for that now.
0: Um and and one sort of last kind of interesting wrinkle is that of course the United States is not a member of of the ICC. Um you know the the Obama administration has worked cooperatively with the ICC and and as did the Bush administration towards its later years. Mm-hmm. Um so you know the US is kind of in this awkward position where it can't really be much of a scold to right. Burundi or to South Africa. Um in in sort of encouraging them to to stay with a, a treaty that it itself has not you know ratified
1: yeah no and that's that's long been a you know the united states has been trying to walk this line between you know, saying that we're a kind of champion of international justice. And certainly if one looks at the Yugoslav tribunal and looks at the Rwanda tribunal, the U S was the leading advocate for those and a leading funder of those institutions. But the U S has always balked at, and this is a bipartisan balking at the idea of actually giving the ICC expansive jurisdiction over U S nationals. Um, no, so it, it absolutely is in a difficult position in terms of trying to be, um, uh, you know, a voice for the ICC here. But so, too, are even European states um, are are in a difficult position, not because they haven't joined, but because they don't want to reinforce this narrative that this is a, basically a European institution. Um, and, you know, so it's not going to help a lot to have the Brits and the French and the Germans saying, hey, you've got to stay with the ICC, when one of the central criticisms of the ICC is that it's basically a European-funded and dominated institution that prosecutes Um, Africans. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so ICC advocates, uh, are in a tough spot. Now you've got some civil society advocacy and you would probably know about this better than I do, but you've got some important civil society advocacy in Africa, you know, voices for the court within Mm -hmm. Africa. Yeah. That's Um, maybe
0: like the one sort of hope. And, and again, I don't know South African jurisprudence much as well, but my understanding is, uh, uh, the uh, African, South African civil society groups are trying to basically like sue or have an injunction against the government from carrying yeah. forward its decision to withdraw, saying that it requires an act of parliament to, 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 to do so. But the fact is, um, right. on Thursday, uh, the 20th of October, the United Nations received yeah. like the, basically the letter of resignation, uh, which is yeah. the, the mode in which uh, a country withdraws from the ICC. So right. we, I mean, know, the, we'll have to see. The,
1: yeah. yeah, there's the domestic legal question. And that, I guess, is going to play out here as to whether the government's you know, move was legitimate. For, but from an international law perspective, just as you say, that notification to the UN was what the ICC needs to treat as, um, as operational. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so, but it does sound like, from what Goldstone and others have said, that there will be some blowback domestically. And I mean, who knows the, the, how this might play out? I suppose there could be some kind of reversal, but it seems uh, it seems unlikely. It seems it because... like a
0: long time. So, so, what do you think is going to happen? So, uh, assuming South Africa leaves the court, what 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 what's going to happen? Do you think?
1: Okay, so my best guess would be that we get, um, you know, we get uh, over the next six months or so, we get a series of additional withdrawals um, maybe up to like a dozen. Um, but then you get some African states hanging in there and the court kind of limps forward. Um, so I don't, I don't think we're going to see kind of an African withdrawal on mass. Um, and so you'll, you know, you'll, you'll have some African states that are in, so you'll end up with reduced jurisdiction for the court, but, um, but not enough to, to, you know, for the court to say, okay, you know, we've got to shut our doors or something like that. Um, So I think the court will kind of limp on.
0: All right. Well, David, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Uh, This was helpful.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Mark.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for listening and we will see where this leads. This is just a a, a fascinating, frankly, a, a scary and a tumultuous time for the International Criminal Court frankly, at a time in which we need more of the ICC and more adherence to international humanitarian laws. This is definitely disappointing for, you know, gooey-eyed liberal internationalists like myself, but we'll, we'll see where this leads. All right. Thanks all for listening. Bye.